Lord, we celebrate you for being our God, King, but also friend at the same time. It is amazing that you present yourself as a friend unto us so lovingly. Lord, we know that you could have been very far from us. You could have invoked a lot of fear and error in our lives. Yet you highly honored, but you still love us in one way or the other, coming so down unto us, condescending in ways that we clearly understand you as God, as a passionate friend, as a father. Lord, we want to pray that this will increase and keep growing in our lives. And I want to pray this morning for people that may not have a personal relationship with you and relate to you as so impersonal. There are those that think that you're very fun, you cannot be reached, especially in many other religions, and even those that claim to be Christians but have not experienced this personal touch with you. Our prayer is the Lord shall come through for them and teach them the way that you operate and the way that you love us. Teach us also to approach you at your terms. My heavenly Savior, even as we come to you as a friend, may you remember that you're sovereign and let us approach you at your terms. May we go deeper in fellowship and passion with you, but Lord, without losing our position. This is our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed. Amen, amen, amen. Friends, if you've lived long enough in Buganda and uh, have uh, had an opportunity to get to see uh, the Kabako of Uganda visiting a place, or basically uh, maybe someone going to the palace, um, you're going to have to understand certain things about the protocol of um, approaching the big man in Buganda. For example, you see people prostrating before him. You see people, I did not know that people could engage reverse gears. <laughs> you see people moving backwards because uh, it is standard that you do not have to uh, move with your back towards the king or the kabaka per se. His name doesn't change in English. The kabaka, mm, you, you don't have to do that. You see, you cannot um, basically shake hands with a kabaka with you um, asking him or taking your hand first. No, he's basically... Um, you know, he's basically, he's the one that basically has gotten to do that first if he wants to shake hands with you. And he has lots of names to that effect. So you get to see that if you're approaching the Kabaka of Buganda, it has gotten to be at his terms and not your terms. You see, you cannot decide that you're going to do things your way. Let's look at the president. If you're going to the state house, you need an appointment, and there are security clearances, there are healthy clearances, and, and many other things. But friends, what about God? What about God? How do you think we could um, or, uh, approach the Lord? Today we want to talk about a topic that is entitled Approaching the Lord at His Terms. Approaching the Lord at His Terms. Oftentimes we make mistakes of thinking that uh, we are going to uphold certain people in very high esteem and uh, the Lord, we can go our own way. I mean, oftentimes we have people praying their own way. We think we can pray the way that we like. We think we can approach the Lord the way that we like because he's our father and we are his children. Friends, this is not quite um, the case. We need to understand that the Lord has gotten to be approached or worshipped at his own terms. Yes, he's given us the liberty as children of God to approach him. But still, if you're careful, you're going to realize that uh, you need to approach the Lord at his own terms. Oftentimes, we fail to experience at the ultimate, you know, fellowship and the experience that we should 
have with the Lord simply because of um, preconceived and um, you know positions and misconceptions about um, approaching God. Uh, but we today want to look at the right perspective of doing it. First Kings is where we are at. We are doing studies in this book, and today we are doing First Kings chapter eight, the first six verses. And I tell you, it's phenomenal stuff here that is coming. First Kings chapter eight says, basically, this is about the transportation of the ark and taking it to the temple of the Lord. The Bible says, um, the ark. Uh, then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the fathers' households of the sons of Israel um, to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanaim, which is the seventh month. And then all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent and the priests and the Levites brought them up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him uh, were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen, and uh, they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought uh, the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Praise the Lord. Now, there are a number of things here that are worth noting. One, the first question would be, why is Solomon bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple? And uh, if into the temple, why into the Holy of Holies and not just in the holy place? Or why didn't he just put it in the courtyard? Why has he gotten to, uh, to do that? Th those are very important things to observe and note there. Uh, second, um, why is it called the Ark of the Covenant? And um, um, why is uh, um, Solomon referring, or the writer referring to the Lord by the name he is using? Uh, you know, those are very important things. Uh, thirdly, why are the people carrying or transporting the ark, the people that are doing it? In other words, why is it the priests? And then why have they gotten to do a lot of um, sacrifices and right now, even as they transport the ark, those are pertinent questions, and they are very key to us uh, to understand our theme that we have today, approaching God at his own terms. To begin with, uh, the interest and the intention of the writer at this particular point is basically to impress upon us uh, the fact that, one, God is um, sovereignly and irreplaceably um, um, central in our worship. Basically, that is the first point that he wants to make. Um, the writer is showing us that, one, this particular chapter is coming on the backdrop of chapter 7, which chapter 7 basically speaks of the construction of the temple and also dealing with all its furnishings. When the furnishings of the temple are done, then what? Then what follows on the heels of this immediately is um, the transportation of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into the temple and into the Holy of Holies. 
In other words, what uh, the writer is pointing to here is uh, that God had to, to be worshipped in his way. How? Now, at that particular time, if we can make a quick trek to Exodus uh, chapter 25, you're going to realize that God had chosen to manifest his presence in uh, this ark, not anywhere else. Now, this doesn't mean that God was not in any other place because just like you and me know, God is surely omnipresent. But we are saying um, he had chosen to manifest his presence at that particular time in the ark to manifest himself to the children of Israel uh, through the ark. You do well to understand that uh, God has revealed man, uh, has revealed himself to man progressively. There is um, um, a, a, a term we call progressive or a theme we call progressive revelation or revelation. And revelation has basically been progressive. And if we don't understand particular things, um, we are going to end up um, making mistakes, just like people are making mistakes by going to people, uh, particular people whom they think are special and kissing their feet. And some are claiming I went to heaven in a chariot and I came back like I recently saw a guy that said, <laughs> oh Lord, you need to get this truth from the Bible. A guy that says he was driving one day and then God came and took his car up into heaven and he basically saw his dead father and he encountered Christ and Christ laid his hands upon him and then commissioned him to come back. I don't think that is true uh, for the reasons that I'll give you today. You know, we are living in uh, a dispensation of complete revelation, like I'll show you, uh, but I'll get to that. Let me not run ahead of myself. So um, in Exodus chapter uh, 25, in verse, um, in verse uh, basically, um, uh, that whole chapter deals with um, offerings for the sanctuary, but um, from around verse 10 onwards um, to around verse um, 22, the Bible speaks about um, the construction of the Ark of the Covenant and basically uh, stipulates its purpose. And here what he says is, for example, in verse 19 of Exodus 25, he says, make one uh, cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim, that is the plural, of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings and so on and so forth. Let me just um, uh, let me just um, yes, let me just uh, cut it very short here uh, to verse twenty one. He says, "You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. Uh, there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat." from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Now you realize that at that particular time, God um, chose to make his manifest presence um, in the ark. Because you know that in him we live, move, and have our being. So God had chosen, for those of you that have been following our teachings in the previous chapters, God had chosen to dwell in the midst of his people. So um, there was absolutely no way that these people were going to have their completeness uh, without the presence of the Lord. You know that um, in him we live, move, and have our being, and now he has chosen to make his manifest presence through the ark. 
So after the construction of the temple, then Moses, um, Solomon, goes right ahead to bring the Ark of the Covenant into uh, the presence of the people of God. Friends, we are only complete when God is in our midst. We are only complete in that way. You're going to do well to remember that um, ultimately God is the ultimate temple in accordance with John chapter 2 verse 19. Uh, no, if John chapter 12 and verse 19, he says that I shall, uh, you know, that I shall uh, basically um, bring down this temple uh, in uh, three days and once again be able to uh, reconstruct it. And that is what he teaches. So basically, God refers to himself as a temple in a sense. But also, when Paul is writing in the New Testament, in First um, Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 15, he speaks to believers and he says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the living God? Uh, that, that is what he says. Eh? Eh? Uh, that, basically, he says, uh, that, 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 that I, I'm going to bring down this uh, temple in uh, John. Uh, let me just get that straight here, my friends, because it is important and central uh, to this teaching, so we can be able to get that out of uh, the way. So uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.15 that we are uh, the living temples of the Lord. What does that mean? Um, um, that basically means that God abides in us. He abides in us. But then secondly, if he is the living temple, it is John chapter 2, uh, verse 19. He says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, uh, and in three days I will raise it up. You see, the Jews then said it took 46 years to build this temple. And uh, will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see that? There are two things here that I want us to look at. One, Jesus is the outman temple. Uh, Solomon constructed that temple in those days, but ultimately that was the revelation, the incomplete revelation of that particular time. But later, Jesus comes up as the complete revelation of God. He also comes up as the complete temple that you should focus on. In other words, if you want to get the fullness of the presence of God, you, you ought to look at Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are also temples in a sense. Why? Because we are living parts of Christ Jesus. In other words, today, if you are going to um, to seek uh, the complete presence of the Lord, we are going to seek it, one, in Christ Jesus, two, in our presence. Why? Because Christ as a complete temple of God reigns in us and we reign in him. You see, reigns in us and we are parts of him. I, I hope this is not confusing you in any way. In other words, the fullness of God should be sought in us, should be sought in us. There are people who are fixated in a way on a particular place of worship. Friends, this is wrong. This is wrong. I know there was a holy of holies in those days, just like we see Solomon here. Uh, but we are saying here uh, that uh, you cannot continue clinging on to a particular place. It is wrong for someone to go before um, Mary's statue and simply um, bow before it and they think, this is the only place where, <laughs> actually, it is wrong for you to think God is coming through a particular statue. I, 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 I'm really sorry, but it is wrong. You see, it is, it is absolutely wrong for you to think it is going to come through a, a particular statue. 
it is also wrong to think it comes through a particular facet or item of worship, say, an earring, a rosary, a necklace. I mean, this is wrong. It is totally wrong. Um, neither is it right for you to think God is only in 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 the church auditorium, yeah? Because there are people that will be uh, relevant when they get into a church auditorium. At the moment we leave church, uh, this is where you find that we are having uh, a very cosmetic uh, Christianity today because people think that God can only be worshipped in church on Sunday and when they go to church, they are holier than thou, they are dressing well. And the moment they get out of church, my God, the lid opens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, uh, the skirts become so young, uh, you know, they go to church and they are very old skirts, yeah, they are old, they are mature skirts, they go up to the ankle, they are flowy down there, and then the moment they get out of church, they're like, oh, we survived that, we survived it, all of a sudden, the, the, the skirt becomes young, even before they get home, some people are carrying those sandbags just to, to, to change uh, very easily, and we are ending up in bars even before we go home. We are checking on our second wives, our fourth girlfriend. See, before you reach home, you say it is a Sunday. So, um, a Monday is coming and I cannot be able to see my sweetheart, my hubby, my only bean in the soup, you see. And you're seeing and having sex with two, three, four girlfriends, even before you get to your wife. Now, what was the essence of going to church? People see God as living in a particular place in a temple somewhere we are saying this kind of notion is wrong very very wrong god says his spirit and those who worship him ought to worship him in spirit he is everywhere let me show you the right perspective of these things the revelation um of the manifest presence of god is now complete in our day uh, as it happened in the New Testament dispensation, especially at the coming of Christ. Uh, let us get to see what the writer of Hebrews says here. It's very, very pertinent and central to this teaching. And uh, what does he say here in uh, um, Hebrews chapter 1? Uh, just look at what he says. He says here, uh, Hebrews 1, 1, he says, God, after he spoke long ago um, to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in the last days, he's spoken to us in his son. Underline that with capital lines. <laughs> you see that? When he appointed, hmm, whom he appointed, here of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. You hear that? In the exact representation of his nature. Uh -huh. And he upholds all things by the word of his the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, what can we say, friends? The Lord is showing you here that in days past, God spoke in various ways. But in the current time, God has chosen to make a complete revelation of his glory through the Son. In other words, what he's saying, uh, he says here, look no further than Christ. Yes, that is what he says, look no further than Christ. You, you, you see that? When you go to um, Colossians and uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible teaches that uh, he is the image of he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, 
both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, he is before all things and in all in him all things hold together he is the image of the invisible god what it basically means like a lady that is doing makeup i love ladies and their innovation i mean they they, they go into these mirrors and they cut off all their eyebrows and all of a sudden you're like what they, they get a black pencil and then they are putting them on again and you're like why didn't you just maintain the first ones and they get their lipstick and they're going like into um the mirror they're able to see their image the exact image of who they are if you want to see who christ exactly is you need to who god exactly is you need to look no further than christ you you, you understand that and the interesting bit in colossians uh, colossians comes in colossians uh, 18 19 he says that he is also head of the body the church and is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile things to himself. I want you to listen to this. God says it pleased him to have his deity, the fullness of his deity, dwell in Christ Jesus. So you cannot look beyond Christ. Friends, I was telling you earlier that for me, uh, it, it will be, you know, um, not not only a bother but also perplexing for someone to think they can look beyond christ today you've heard of people i've heard of someone on on on, on social media but also he was on tv who, who who says that for for him was appointed as a prophet from childhood and then when he grew up it it, it got deeper he got a special revelation and then was carried off in a chariot and then he went before christ and he encountered his dead father as if there's a relationship between us and the dead you know and then christ touched him kind of opened his brain and gave him a new one and then dispatched him within four hours and he came back now i i i, I don't have a doubt that that is not really true because what, what what does he mean he says hey look here there is something special before you you've got it to pass through me to get to god what we cannot look beyond christ friends um the essence of this thing is that in our generation today there are people that show you they are special and you need them to get to god and we are saying biblically that is totally wrong you know, and uh, for some of us, if we are making our pastors that special, instead of a lot of people, instead of focusing on the word of God, and they say, my pastor says, you tell them divorce is wrong, and we are able to teach that, and we have a teaching on that, and they say, but my pastor says, just because his pastor has also done it, so they are, they are replacing Christ uh, with their pastor they are making him replaceable now that is not what the right of kings is showing us he shows us that christ is um, as sovereignly and irreplaceably at the center of our worship and that is the thing you see that friends you cannot afford to worship him in any other way he has been fully made um you know revealed unto us and we need to approach him at his terms not our terms and friends today you see how most of us um shadow in the way that we approach god and the way that we worship him simply because we have taken the notions of men to replace um the manifest truth of god in scripture may the lord have mercy upon us you've seen people kissing i hear their prophet's feet 
I mean, you, you've seen people going to mountains. We are no more different from um, these, these diviners that go to particular mountains and they say this is uh, the only location where you can worship our ancestral spirit. You see, God is spirit and we ought to worship him in spirit and truth. And God is fully revealed in Christ Jesus. And as long as I have Christ in me, the hope of glory, I can worship wherever I am. Even when this does not um, you know, decipher us, uh, that, that does not sever us from uh, um, uh, the need to fellowship uh, together as uh, um, brethren, that does not um, kill that in any way. Uh, you see that? So finally, if that is um, the centerpiece, then how has God uh, gotten to be approached? One, what you realize here, uh, going by what um, um, the writer of Kings does is first of all, he shows you that we ought to have a personal relationship as we approach the Lord. And uh, where do I derive that from? If you're careful and you examine uh, that chapter 8 very well, uh, you're going to realize that. Now, first and foremost, what does he uh, do here? In verse 1, towards the end, he says um, that um, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, uh, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Now, if you're careful, you realize that uh, some of your versions have the Lord in capital there. I told you there are uh, several things you can't just see in our normal languages, like English or Uganda or any other local language. The Bible in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Now, in Hebrew, the name used to mean Lord there is Yahweh, which means um, a redeeming, covenant-keeping God. You cannot use particular names except if you're meaning something. For example, you can't call my wife honey. You cannot call her your, your, your sweetheart. You can't call her your better half. You can't call her your only being in the soup. Uh-uh. That would uh, call for a probing and a commission of inquiry at my esteemed table. <laughs> you see that? Neither should I call um, your wife baby. Uh, even if there are these sweet-talking people, uh, for us, in, in, in people that train carefully in the spirit, it would invoke, you know, second thoughts. Why would I call your wife baby in your presence and I'm hugging her inappropriately? Certain terms are reserved for certain people. You get it? So someone, uh, by calling my wife, baby, honey, it doesn't mean I'm going to put her um, in my tea. <laughs> no, it means we have a special, passionate, uh, you know, uh, relationship. Uh, you, 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 you get that. It is intimate at uh, that matter. Um, so uh, for that matter, you see that the writer here says, that he brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, meaning one needs that passionate relationship. It is pointing to a relational, um, you know, a dispensation of faith here, meaning that Solomon is doing it as a believer, but also meaning that the one that is being referred to as Lord, for one to approach him, they need a personal relationship here. And friends, today that relationship is a saving relationship that comes your way only by faith, according to Ephesians 2, 8, yeah, that says that we are saved by faith um, through what grace sack that no man may boast. You, you see, and this being a gift from God, uh, you, you get to understand that. One reason people find it very hard to approach God at his terms is because they are doing it in their own way. 
they want to reach to God and yet God has already come down through Christ. So it becomes hard when you go to him through um, such things like like doing your very best, you're, you're doing good works instead of works of faith because there's a difference between those two. Works of faith are coming after faith, after someone has uh, committed their faith and trust in the Lord. And then good works are things that you do to approach God at your own terms. You're like, let me do this and be very good so God can love me. You can't do that. None of us can be good enough to approach the Lord. Now, that is very bad and stale theology. Very bad indeed. You see, when you say I'm going to go through a particular person to get to God other than Christ, that is an invalid effort. Yeah, you can't go before a statue and you think you're going to God. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. We've already read the scripture. You only go through Christ, my dear friend, through Christ and Christ alone. That is what it is. You know, because if you're speaking of Mary, I can show you a scripture in the Bible that shows that Mary uh, was a sinner. I can easily show you that in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. The Bible says, my spirit rejoices. And Mary said, my spirit rejoices in the Lord and my soul in Christ, my Savior. Now, who needs a Savior? A sinner. Yeah, who needs a doctor, a patient, as simple as that. Yeah. So Mary knew that she was a sinner. And basically, uh, she became holy just like I am, just like you are if you're born again or just like you can be if you get born again as simple as that Mary was born of a man and a woman and David shows us in Psalm 51 verse 4 that in, in sin did my mother conceive me every single person that was begotten of a man and a woman is born in sin Romans 5 12 that is what it is so it is wrong for us to approach Christ uh, or the Lord in any other way apart from through Christ now next as I wind up there is something that you get to realize here as well. He says, all the men of Israel assembled themselves to the King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanai, uh, which is the seventh month. And by the way, this is when uh, most of those um, feasts began, but I'm not going to teach that today. Then all the elders of Israel came and the priests took the ark. That is central. That is central as I wind up. The priests took the ark. The question would be, why did it have to be the priests? Why not any other person? Because God had appointed only the priests to do that. Now, you also do well to appreciate that priests also had some kind of cohorts or divisions within them. Now, this is something that you're going to find in the book of Numbers chapter 4. The book of Numbers chapter 4 reveals that um, the lineage of priests basically came out of a people we call the Levites. But not every Levite was uh, a priest, but every priest was a Levite. I hope you understand that. Now, even amongst the priests, there were divisions or cohorts or groups or groupings. Now, these came out of a man called Aaron. Aaron begot a number of sons, and those that stuck to the will of the Lord um, uh, later had cohorts of priests or divisions. There were three. One, they're what you called the, the Kohathites, they're, they're what you called the Gashonites, and they're what you called the Meralites. Now, it was the role and responsibility of the Kohathites to go into the Holy of Holies and um, touch that Holy stuff and, you know, cover it up before um, the Gashonites came up to, to carry that stuff. And then the Meralites basically were responsible for the general furnishings and uh, of, of, the, of, um, um, 
of the tabernacle of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in a general sense not the temple of meeting uh, that uh, Moses specifically went to before they put up the tent of meeting or the the, the tabernacle. You, you remember that there is a difference between those two. So uh, that, that 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 was the division. Uh, you know, you go to Numbers chapter four, from verse one to verse uh, twenty, it speaks about the Kohathites and their role. Yeah, you, you, you see that. Uh, for example, in uh, um, Numbers chapter four, verse seventeen, the Bible teaches and says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Don't let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from among the Levites, but do this from uh, do this to them that they may live and uh, uh, not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aaron and his sons shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his Lord, but they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for the moment, or they will die. You hear that? And then it stipulates uh, the role of uh, the, the Gershonites, which I've told you already, and then the Meralites, which I've already given you. You see? Uh, in verse 15, he says, um, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to, to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. Do you hear that? Uh, basically that. And uh, when you go back to the construction of the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter uh, 25, um, you're going to realize that uh, the, 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 um, the Ark of the Covenant basically had what we call uh, carriers, yeah? Even when it was the Kohathites, they were also not supposed to directly touch it. So in other words, the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be moved by men carrying it and uh, by its carriers, yeah, and not just um, any man, but a priest, and not just any priest, but specifically the Kohathites. You're seeing that? So the, you, you're realizing that God in those days had chosen to reveal himself through the ark of the covenant but even then he is choosing how he's going to be approached specific procedure now what makes us believe that we are going to change that today the principle has not changed by the way of approaching god has changed now it is through christ and it is through the spirit why do we think we still need to go through a statue through someone through a prophet through that kind of thing i'm not in any way negating or nullifying the role of um a spiritual leader not at all I'm not, but even a spiritual leader is meant to approach, uh, you know, uh, worship in a particular way. For example, when Christ died on the cross, he said it is finished. And when he said it, it is finished, I think that is John 19, 30. What actually happened in the sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies that was inapproachable in the Old Testament, uh, what actually happened was that that curtain was ripped open, signifying uh, symbolically that now, with the sacrifice of Christ, there is open access, clear access by faith. Even there, there is the condition of faith. By faith through who? Christ. In John 15, uh, 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You understand that? So even when we have our spiritual leaders, they are not ideally mediums by whom or through whom we can approach God. Not at all. Jesus is the ultimate way. He is um, also the sacrifice 
and Matthew 26, 26, and he's also the covenant, Matthew 26, 26, he is the altar, Hebrews 13, 15, you know, he is the high priest, Hebrews 9, eh? through him we go to approach the Father, he is everything, in everything, in him alone you can approach the Father. You do well to understand that according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, every believer ideally in the spirit is a priest in the New Testament dispensation. That does not nullify the position of spiritual leaders. No, there are still certain things that we do. And being one myself that is teaching, but we don't have to load it over you. We don't have to be the mediums that you, you, you pass through to get to God. I don't want you to worship me. No, I don't want you to worship any other spiritual leader. No, we have a perspective of edifying you in the spirit of putting order in worship of teaching, you know, of, 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 of those, of, of those gifts that God has given of, of you know, of, of guiding that direction. Uh, basically, uh, th 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 that is what we do, but we are not meant to be worshipped, neither are we meant to monopolize the uh, access to God. So, I just want to do a passage in First uh, um, Chronicles chapter 13 that is going to just wind up everything and then I'll be done for today. Solomon um, assumed the throne after his father David and he basically had witnessed what had happened at some point. Yeah, prayer to his assumption of the... Um, throne so you're going to see what david actually did in his time to transfer or to transport the ark you're going to do well to realize that in first kings chapter 8 um the writer actually says that he's transferring it from um the, the place of david so uh, just look here i'm just going to read it verbatim very fast for us to get the clear perspective here the bible says in first chronicles chapter 13 verse 1 then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it, it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pleasure, with pastures, excuse me, that they may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of the covenant to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said uh, that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the Lord, of the people. So David assembled all Israel together from Sheha of Egypt, even to the entrance of Hamath, uh, to bring um, uh, the ark of God from Kiriath Jerim. He basically tells you the entire Israel. There, that is what that means. David and all of Israel went up to Bala, that is to Kiriath Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from the Ark of the Covenant um, the Lord uh, who is enthroned above the cherubim, where his name is called. We've already done that. Uh, they carried the Ark of the Co of God on a new cat from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ohio drove the cat. Now, that is. That is um, a, a black spot. That is, a, 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 you know, a, a level seven mistake, spiritual mistake that they are making there. It's a level seven. And I will explain that briefly. That David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and with trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it, the anger of the Lord burnt against Uzzah, 
and so he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark. Uh, you, 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 you hear that? Because he put up his hand uh, to uh, the ark. Uh-huh. And, and, and he died there before God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And he called that place Perezuza to this day. David was afraid of God. Yes. Now that is the attitude of approaching God. David was approaching, was afraid of God that day saying, how can I bring the ark of God home uh, to me? So David did not take the ark with him to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obedodom the Gittite. Thus, the ark of God remained with the family of Obedodom, Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obed-Edom with all uh, that he had. Praise the Lord. Now, friends, you can see, Solomon was living at the time that stuff happened. All of us know that David was a friend of God. God himself attests to that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. He says David was a man after his own heart. But even then, David violated the right approach um, to God, to the presence of the Lord, to his glory, to the ark, uh, the place of his manifest presence in that day. You can see, no one is too good to approach God against his own terms. No one. <laughs> you must see that, my friend. And you remember that the ark in those days had initially been, um, you know, hijacked by the Philistines. And then the Lord raised them down and, you know, basically showed them it was God by hitting them with boils and all sorts of things. And when they brought it back, um, they rested it with a, a particular man uh, where it had been for a long time. And since Saul had not really been focused on the things of proper worship, he had not carried it. And therefore David comes and he says, let us go and uh, pick the ark, which was a very good motivation. David loved God. But when he went to pick the ark, he made a mess. David brings people that are not priests to carry the ark. Secondly, they are putting it on a new cart. Where are they getting it from? They are de 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 deriving this from the Philistines, because when the Philistines were bringing back <laughs> the ark of the covenant into Israel, they used a new cart. And they are saying, God, hold a minute, hold it here for a minute. You, you, you know, we are the dot-com generation. We need to worship you in a special way. You know, God, as you need a new cart, brand new. And we are speaking of the Mercedes of those days. When you speak of carts, they are being drawn by horses. Probably David must have gotten the top of the range cart of those days. You know, a Lamborghini of sorts or a Hammer of sorts or whatever top of the range, you know, V8, V6 of, of that generation, and it is drawing the ark. Basically, the intention was good. The approach was wrong. We don't do things our way. And friends, what does God do? God comes and he hits this guy called Uza immediately and he dies. And if, if you ask me, God had been gracious long enough because he should have killed them the first time they touched the ark to cut it and put it on, 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 on the cart. Oftentimes, the Lord is patient with us even when we approach him the wrong way. But the intention is that we shall turn around and come to him. That is what he teaches in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, that the Lord is not long in, uh, or the Lord is long-suffering. Uh, and, and people think he takes long um, and is not coming, but he is bearing with us such that men may come to him in repentance. But we are taking him for a ride. And friends, God hit this guy dead immediately. And David said, Eo, my God, how am I going to approach this kind of reverent and holy, powerful God? 
and he held the, the process for a time and, and left that ark there. But later on in chapter 15, uh, David um, gets into his senses and um, he comes and he does the right thing. He goes and he seeks the chiefs and he, say, uh, he, he seeks the priests and he says, you know what? The Lord hit us the first time. Why? Because we messed up. We, we didn't do the right thing. Uh, you, you see that? Uh, uh, basically, uh, he says in First uh, Chronicles chapter 15, um, that um, uh, chapter 15, let me just do verse uh, 25. So it was David uh, with the elders of Israel and the captains of over thousands who went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obedodom with joy because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. They sacrificed seven bulls and so on. In verse 16, he says, Then David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives and the singers with instruments of music, halves, lyres, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, he tells them uh, in verse 11, I think, verse 11 is what I need. Then David called for Zedok and Abiathar the priests and for the Levites, um, for Uriel, Asia, Joel, Shammah, Eliel, Aminadab, and said to them, you are the heads of your father's households, of the Levites, consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of, of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it, because you did not carry it at the first. The Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. Praise the Lord. What more can I say there? Friends, in our generation, we also ought to learn from this. We ought to approach God at his own terms. God ought to be approached in the spirit and in a holy way. God is holy. He says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Be holy for he who, like, as the one who, who called you is. But in our generation, we are carrying the ark on carts. You see, we look at the dance strokes in the church. We are dancing exactly like the world. You just have to replace Lusuku Rasemiti with what we are singing. You don't have to replace the dances. Look at the way that worship team leaders, some worship team leaders are dressing. Look at the way they are dressing. You see, the way they dress beautiful young ladies, every curve in this perfect place. And uh, they come and they are making virtually every man struggle, or, you know, in that church auditorium. Very beautiful chocolate brown young ladies and their skirts are way up here and all of us you know of all songs what do they choose to sing eh? down down chin pack a low eh? down you go down go down go down go down low go down low go down low once and all the men are very happy to kirira to go down to because you know they are going down faster than the ladies and uh, they are using the, the 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 advantage of their angle of the lady ladies being up to 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 get to look at certain things and when they say go up the, the, the men are disappointed this is what we are doing in church you see that we are just approaching god for fun and you know i'm not saying we should be boring per se but we are not approaching god at his own terms you know for for fun and you you know look at us pastors and the way we are teaching the word of god we teach what we want you know, when you do a message of this nature and you go to the threads of scripture, to the to 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 the principles of proper biblical hermeneutics, someone will tell you it is boring. 
they want you to encourage them and tell them today you're receiving it and you're taking it and we are quoting you know verses out of context and someone is preaching just on one verse and they are done and we speak stories and we give them unto the people and they go and this is the reason the church is not edified you see someone going to church for years but they're exactly the same way and what do you expect we are not exposed to the power or the word of God, we are not reprimanded, but the word of God, we are not called to repentance. You don't hear messages of repentance. You don't hear, you know, church discipline. You don't hear and that stuff coming out. All we are hearing is you're receiving it today, and all we are doing is deliverance in churches. That is basically what we are focusing on. I know that I'm against it. I'm a minister of deliverance myself. But for me, sometimes I just teach the truth and all you see is people getting delivered in the church without you doing it. Friends, where are we? What went wrong in the church? Why do we think that we are going to approach God at our own terms and we think he will respond? And if we think we are worshiping for all these years, is really God in our midst? In Ezekiel chapter 10, the glory of the Lord departs from the temple and it simply goes. I want to assure you that for most, for many, many, many places of worship or purported worship, the Lord has long, long departed because he has been grieved. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at many places. We are gods. We pastors are gods. Are gods in those churches. My pastor says a word is stronger and resonates and is echoed much more strongly than the word of the Lord. As simple as that. We decide what has got to be done there. We lock up churches into our own way of worship. We have particular ways and, and dimensions of worship and liturgies, and those cannot change. Oh, God have mercy. God has gotten to be worshipped in the spirit, and that is the only way to make sense. May the Lord bless you. I know it was a long but worthwhile message. Listen to it, uh, you know, teach it elsewhere, and, you know, examine it again in scripture. And, and, and if you think it is worthwhile, please, you can share it. May the Lord bless you. But I want to pray that we shall worship him in the spirit. May God bless you even as you seek him. And even as we examine ourselves, including myself, whether we are still standing in our worship and whether we are approaching God at his own terms. Friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can still be do what he did with Uzzah. He has not changed. But we only that we are living these days of grace and we are waiting on him. But let me tell you, he shall strike. He shall strike again when the time comes. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord call us back to order in worship to approach him at his own terms. Father, bless us even as we seek we are the church. And Lord, may you bring it uh, to us to understand that it's about you and not about us. It's about you, Lord, even as we approach you in worship. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to be holy as we seek you. Help us to focus on the spirit. We are pleading for repentance to come back to the altar. We are, we are pleading, Lord, for, for holiness to come back, for revelance in church. It's, it's, it's good to have some to have joy in church but not fun it's not entertainment like we are right now the auditorium the church auditorium is about entertainment it's about laughter it's about comment it's not about repentance it's not about castigating sin it's not about revival lord have mercy upon us even as we approach you you want us to approach you lord on on grounds of of holiness on grounds of 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 repentance on grounds of the spirit of the lord leading worship and not we leading still worship and deciding how the worship should be and particular rigid stances of of liturgy even when the spirit of god says this should change they are not changing oh lord have mercy and may the spirit of god come and take control because we are worship, we worship you and approach you as believers
If you don't know Christ, it will be hard for you to worship. So just tell him, dear Lord, today I receive you as a savior and I declare that I'm born again. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, the spirit of worship, and help me to overcome sin, my premeditated misconceptions of worship, my flesh, the world, and the modern styles of worship that are not necessarily spiritual. May I live for your own and glory. In Jesus' my name I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. God bless you.